0: Mana, This is Social Disgusting. Welcome to Social Disgusting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Brandon. Hope you're well. My guest is a noted monkey bone enthusiast with a podcast YouTube show called Sorry for Rambling with Alex Kack, where he interviews people you should know and people doing things you should know about. Please welcome Alex Kack. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Brandon. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Ah, uh, pleasures all mine. So the aforementioned loaded question, how are you?
1: Uh, I'm okay. i uh, I haven't left my house other than to to drive my car around just to keep it running. Um, yeah, since the first week of March. but it's getting it gets, you know we talked about this before the show, but it gets normalized, you know, you fall into routines and patterns. Um, so the days are very similar, but they're also like easier. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the months creep on, I'm not really you know, I, I honestly at first is like oh god, like I'm not dating and I'm not, you know, seeing people and I'm not going to the bar and you know, like work is all isolated and by Zoom and then suddenly there starts to, you start calming down and you start being more okay and I think some sometimes, you know, that's not to say sometimes like that loneliness doesn't creep back on you, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, you know, it's not, it's not so bad. It's, it's also interesting, I think, sometimes. I led, like, a pretty active lifestyle before all this. And I'm also, real like, realizing through, like, conversations with people that, like, there were a lot of people who just, like, didn't, you know? Yeah. Um, it's also interesting that, like, some people that I'm running into are, like, s- like clearly did not lead very active lifestyles before this and now are like the ones who are most upset about like my freedoms are being taken away because i can't you know go get drunk and grind on somebody (laughs) um yeah which is like wild because it's like i'm realizing like you haven't gone and gotten drunk and grinded on somebody in like five years so
0: yeah but but to me it's like uh but then they're thinking like yeah, but that was because that was my choice though and now I don't even have that. I think some people I think that there there is a certain level of freak out from people because they've they've lost the illusion of
1: control. I think that's definitely part of it and I I think there's also a thing that's setting in with some people where people were leading lives where I think we all do this where we put stuff off till tomorrow. Yeah. That we want to do now and you know by tomorrow i mean like the proverbial tomorrow of like i'll get you know we'll we'll go on that vacation to california next year you know and then suddenly it's this idea of like holy shit, they're saying i can't do that at all now and i haven't done it in so long and if this thing doesn't end in a year or two years I just never did it, you know, because youth is fleeting. And and there is, like, a lot of those, like, adages of, like, you're never too young to start something, you're never, you know, you're never too old to go do whatever, blah, 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 blah. And that's to an extent true, but it's also not. The experience you have kind of, like, engaging in the same activity at 20, 30, 40, and 50 is going to be different. Not saying you can't do that activity, but it's going to be different. and
0: It's supposed to be. (laughs) You know, like, yeah. Yeah, your mentality is certainly supposed to be different in your lived experiences, right? And your
1: your your perspective. Um, but so I, I think... Like the physical toll it takes on you. And yeah, I think, oh yeah, yeah. And like the responsibilities that you like pick up as time goes on. Like, so if you think these things are inherently different, you know? Like they just are. And um, I think people are... I mean, and you, you've seen this forever where I mean, people kind of like miss out on... We all, I think no matter how like active or how adventurous we, we are, we're we look at other people especially in the age of social media and think god i i wish i could go back and and do that whole thing over again mm-hmm. you know because i i would have taken this risk and done that so i think a lot of some of this not all of it obviously because there's like legitimately very scary things going on right now and there is like you said i think a huge idea about the kind of illusion of choice but there is i think a moment of introspection that's happening with people that, about how they've lived their lives and, and what they've to what purpose or end they've lived their lives and and people aren't excited about what they saw the flip side of that though is is no one's ever excited about what they see in their own past really other than just fleeting moments you always wish you could have done something better or, or gone and taken an experience you didn't that's the benefit of hindsight so all you can really do is just move forward in in a different way
0: I think, yeah, to your point, I think that things you're not going to remember, you know, in terms of uh, your past experiences, you're not going to remember the boring things. You're either going to generally remember the extremely great or the truly awful. And, um, and I think, to your point, though, that there are, I think part of of, of this situation, the situation, a byproduct is, yeah, people are, I think some people are thinking about things they haven't wanted to think about, and there are just less things to distract them from doing that. And that's tough. It's tough um, to have to look in the mirror when, you know some people like maybe some people are workaholics for a reason cuz they just don't want to literally physically psychologically just kind of sit there and then think about things and and that's tough and 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 as somebody who like a month and a half prior to the the pandemic and kind of the quarantine started doing therapy for the first time it Gave me maybe just enough of kind of the mental infrastructure to try to handle this a little bit better than I would have ordinarily because I have anxiety and depression. And this is certainly a situation that can exacerbate that on some days. Um, it's tough. You know, I can't imagine what some people are going through. Oh, yeah. I told you this this prior to recording that 20 minutes prior to that, uh, my, my entry point for you was that uh, somebody I follow posted a link to your YouTube channel. And I went to that and I watched some of the interviews and I thought they were really interesting. So I was like, oh, I, I want to talk to him. I think that could be really cool. And then, like I said, 15, 20 minutes prior to us first talking now, um, I had no idea that you were the quote unquote green shirt guy. And what what is that? Uh, that which is to, to contextualize that the video that popped up was a um, actually, I'm sorry. Can you just you can explain it better than I can.
1: Yeah, uh, sure. Um, so it is a moment captured on film that went viral last august so uh i mean the backstory and context it's i was working i work in politics um Mm -hmm. i work on campaigns and i was working on a campaign here in tucson um where we were trying to at the ballot line pass some sanctuary city measures um which i mean really just has to go with with how to what level police are engaged in federal law enforcement i think and this is a really important and clear distinction because a lot of people i don't think really understand what's being discussed when you use words mm-hmm. or phrases like that the the heart and like kind of soul of it was really focused on on policing and specifically looking at one to what degree and extent should local police be doing immigration based work, which is of course a a matter of federal enforcement, and B Mm -hmm. and just also again to be really clear here, not something that they're necessarily adequately funded to do or trained to do. And B, how does that lead itself into, you know, escalating situations between police and residents, causing uh you know, kind of increasing the the possibility of racial profiling, um, and, and ultimately victimizing, you know, American citizens, not just people who are who are here and who are undocumented yes. um and so it's a it's a far more complex issue than i think the sound bites often make it out to be um but we were trying to put it up to a vote of the residents of tucson and during that city council meeting the leader of uh they're actually designated as a hate group um as an extremist hate group based out of phoenix uh she and like one of her uh, acolytes i guess drove down from from phoenix To like disrupt this city council meeting, and like they're just everything they do is just like beyond absurd, and they also had no like no. Am I allowed to swear on here? Because I feel like at some point I'm going to. Great. They had no fucking idea what they were talking about. Of course. Um, which like it's just like it's on its face funny, and like there's just so much about. If you haven't seen the video, um, yeah, it. It's just absurd. I mean, like, the one guy's, like, the, holding a sign upside down while he's screaming. He, like, has a 44-ounce, like, big gulp, like, styrofoam s- s- cup of soda that he's, like, somehow smuggled in to the the meeting because, you're, like, you're not allowed to bring, like, open beverages in there. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, like... Dropping it and fumbling it while he's holding his sign upside down, yelling like it was—it was
0: was so farcical. It was almost like like unintended performance art. It was so absurd.
1: Yeah, and and they were against the best part of it is they're they're against the 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 idea of the sanctuary city measure, but they didn't understand that this was about letting the residents vote on it. That following November, they thought that the mayor and city council were like passing this, and the mayor at the time was vehemently against it, and publicly speaking out of it. And they're screaming at him. I mean, just berating him when they're actually on the same side of this issue.
0: So they failed in every conceivable way.
1: Yeah. I mean, just like, I mean, everything was just nuts and illogical. And yeah. so it, I was sitting in front of them, and, you know, it's absurd and it's hilarious, and so I started just laughing at them. The local news was there. Yeah. And this guy, this local reporter great guy named nick vinzant had put his notice in with this with the news station was moving out of town so i guess i think he was feeling a little emboldened so he, <laughs> sn- he snatched the camera and decided to zoom it in on my face and then out and back to them yelling and then back into me laughing which i mean made for footage that ultimately didn't air on the nightly news that night but that he himself put on twitter okay. and someone's you know after that whole debacle like I mean, my coworkers and i went to get some food and some drinks down the street um and i'm sitting there and i get this message on twitter from a friend of mine and she, it's my friend esther and she says hey is this you and I, I say yeah and there's like 30 comments on it i joke back and forth with people and that's where it ends for the night yeah and, uh, like i you know I, I think i retweeted it with like a joke i was like oh look like local reporter picked me up i'm famous it's about <laughs> four in the morning my phone is just like going off and it's up to like 15 million views and God knows how many thousands of like retweets and shares and it's, you know, next thing you know, I'm like, I'm interviewing with CNN from like my living room and like, just like every major like cable outlet, like Stephen Colbert was talking about me that night. Like, so it just like, it just blew up and it kept blowing up for like on and off for like the next four weeks.
0: I can't imagine how surreal that is. I know that in your first episode of your podcast slash YouTube show, you'd mentioned that you wanted to use the platform that you have and so you were talking to different people and that's what the show is. It's an interview show. So between it going viral and that point, what was that like?
1: So it's been up and down, right? I'm you know you know, the thing about going viral is is like it's a whirlwind. And like mm-hmm. you don't you don't get the opportunity to like stop or sleep enough to like fully process what's happened. So it just honestly looking back, it's it's really kind of a blur for like a couple of weeks. Um, and I mean, like, I, I imagine, could, yeah, it's like almost dissociative. I can remember the different things, but it is like it just feels sur- like different and surreal and and not like a thing that you actually experienced. So since then, we went on to lose that campaign. Wow. Um, oh. Okay. November um but we did we did I mean I I was able to I think to use the platform that that gave me to aim to fundraise for the campaign which was very helpful um we'd actually mm-hmm. the local Republican party had taken us to court at that point and it, it just lit me of different things that were like just the dirtiest types of politics you can find you know so it it in a lot of ways it was almost kind of like a Hail Mary that that got sent in for us you know um it wasn't a strong enough one but it it got us a lot of national press attention i think it it helped us rewrite our narrative at least for a little bit um but we did wind up losing um that november uh since then i've worked on a variety of different campaigns here in the area um mm-hmm. it's been weird because when you have like a platform like that you're not really sure what to do with it sure. and and it's it's ebbed and flowed since it went on i think you know I peaked at like 70,000 followers and then I got down into like the 40s and I'm like up around 55 or 56 now and it, it kind of seems like it's balanced out there for a while it goes down a yeah. little bit and then back up a little bit but you know when it's a when it's a moment like that people don't necessarily know a ton about you other than that 15 seconds one minute whatever it is and sure. people people imprint what they want to on that so as your own views come out as you, you make statements that people disagree with etc cetera, etc cetera. like you're going to bleed some people off and in the process also like you're going to find new people and I think that's an interesting thing because, like, for the first like month or two because I was working on this campaign and suddenly had this thing I wasn't really posting to social media in the way that like I normally would have which may have been more crass or inflammatory at times, or frankly also would have just been about things that are like not necessarily inherently political. It might have just been about things that like I enjoy, which like I'm a nerd, so it kind of like kind of range the gamut of like, you know, punk rock and like science fiction and, you know, TV and movies, baseball, like just random shit that like a lot of people who like initially followed me, like that's not what they were looking for. Yeah, but that's also like the stuff that I want to discuss sometimes. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it has, I don't know, it's, it's, it's changed and evolved though, you know, because it's like they're the people who have stuck around are like now not just invested in that moment. They're like kind of invested in me personally, which is incredibly flattering, but like also still very, very strange. We're on like month 10 of this month. Yeah. eleven now. And it's, like, it's weird that I have, like, people that I've never met in person or, like, even had a conversation with online in, in some cases who have, like, who have a real, like, vested interest in me and the things I say and, like, what I do. So, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I think doing the YouTube show and the podcast and stuff like that was, like, how do I, like, what do I do with this, you know? Because sure, I've always been doing different things like that in general, but it never in the context of having a bunch of followers and yeah, I mean, I also, I like, like you, I have people who now have reached out to me or who are following me on some social media platform for reasons that are completely unrelated to that moment. You know, so people, uh, my favorite example of someone who came in from the YouTube show from the podcast, I interviewed Chris Reed, who is an actor on Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Great guy. Love Chris <laughs> to death. I had a, like picked up some like Sons of Anarchy fans as like followers after that one of whom I posted something like trying it was a donation link trying to raise money for an undocumented family during the pandemic that was facing you know uh issues and issues that you know the, the rest of us were getting s- some level of, of stimulus but like that's not happening for people in that situation yeah um and this guy was like real pissed off about it and like all up in my comments and I realized was like following me and I thought he was just like a troll or something and uh his name on Twitter was, like, a Sons of Anarchy reference. So I was like, okay, well, hey. you know, like, you're going to troll hey. me. I'll tro- troll you back. After we went back and forth a few times, I was like, oh, you know, like, you're a, you're clearly a huge Sons of Anarchy fan. Like, maybe you'll enjoy this episode of my podcast. And he just responded immediately. was like, that's why I follow you. I thought it was a really good interview. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, that's amazing. <laughs> like, I'm really grateful that, like, you know, you feel that way. But, like, also, like, you're kind of uh, – you're kind of racist and kind of a dickhead. So, like... Yeah, it's like, uh, well,
0: first of all, thank you for the compliment. Yeah. appreciate that. However, what the fuck? Because that... Yeah. Because uh, it is interesting, though, just the entry point of how they got there. And to your point, it's like another version of... of what, what is their entry point? Why are they here? And what are their expectations? And you have a lot of people who, to your point, you know, they... Came here from one thing, then recalibrated, and now it kind of, maybe it's it's settled a little bit into people that understand, you know, your life and your uh, air quotes and narrative and kind of what that constitutes, and they're along for the ride.
1: It is interesting. I mean, it's it is really interesting, and I'm really grateful for it. I mean, it's incredible. It it's not something I've like necessarily learned to deal with though either, because like I have the I have these like moments where I'm like needy and craving that attention. And then I yeah. have these these other moments where I'm like, I'm gonna just delete all of my social media accounts and like get in a get in my Jeep and like drive to the coast and grow a beard and never be heard from again.
0: <laughs> well, I can't imagine though what what that could be. You know, the the dopamine drip of that. It feels that's I, I can imagine. You know, it's uh, there's probably a temptation, or maybe there was at one point. I don't know. Maybe I'm just projecting, but to to lean into that because it's. You know that it. it I would imagine it, it could be difficult not to compromise because you know you want to maybe meet expectations, and then you know I can understand what what it is the, the the drug of celebrity and how they get there sometimes as much as I don't in any way subscribe to it or feel it is justified, but I can see how it gets there.
1: Yeah, and I mean we live in a really interesting era for it because there's all these people, hundreds of people, in situations like mine and. and I mean, some of them are based off of moments of virality. Some of them built their followings more organically or through advertising or something. But people mm-hmm. who have become quasi-famous on the internet, and we're seeing a whole new. So there's there's three. I think there's three phases to it, right? Mm-hmm. It's you know you go back to uh, like the 1.0 version of it, which is like people that were blogging prolifically in the 2000s. Um, very early YouTubers and people who were really good at monopolizing on Face or on MySpace. People, yeah. you know the, the people who were doing like the MySpace friend trains and things like that, and were building up like tens of thousands of uh, MySpace friends. And you know they were the like the scene queens and stuff like that. So that was like the first version of it. But a lot of that wasn't. It wasn't monetized in the same way. Um, and i think that it was it was far more niche it it was not as ubiquitous it was people that were directly speaking to audiences of just common interest yeah uh you have the second generation of it which is kind of i think ending right now so i think i'm on the tail end of that which is you know youtube kind of proper as it became twitter instagram is the big big one i think in that and the way that it built people up and there's a lot of dynamic personalities in there they range from you know we have lots of different types of comedians who launch their entire careers posting stuff online and then going out and performing secondarily you know um and and that's come through youtube that's come through twitter um you know we have people like uh like you know God, there's, i mean a list of youtubers that goes on a mile long on everything from from fashion to politics to people just talking about their lives um twitter is yeah, just like sure. yeah an insane cesspool of like you know um for for better and worse of like people building followings and they range from like people being in like celebrities and influencers and like you know that to like people starting what feels like borderline cults to people who are like clearly like kind of like creating false narratives and like grifting people out of money and like the and everything in between those yeah. lines can get super blurred sometimes um but we have a whole new yeah, thing it's... starting with tiktok yeah yeah like the yeah t- tiktok's a whole different animal because it's it's doing it's doing in rapid succession like the mode of discovery on tiktok vine kind of had it but it wasn't i don't think vine was geared towards making people into like overnight celebrities like it wasn't algorithmically designed to it was just like algorithmically designed to give you engaging content and people were figuring out how to use it. TikTok is a whole different beast because it's like it's literally designed to keep you engaged by making you feel important.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a response to those those previous iterations. You yeah. know, it's the it's the most sophisticated bigger, you know, bigger, faster, stronger version of that. And it's really I mean, I mean, it's designed to steal your information yeah. in the most overt blatant uh and egregious way as possible but uh it's it, and it seems to be extremely effective at that but to your point it they also get circulated to to an incredible degree
1: yeah uh it is it's it's nuts i mean t- tiktok is <laughs> and like i'm on the outside looking at a tiktok i have a tiktok i've posted yeah. two like two videos to it honestly my phone is just like I think too old at this point and like too slow <laughs> to like load it or like do anything like that like properly. Yeah. So I think like I I don't think I'm gonna like transfer over into the TikTok space. It's also like I'm not old. I'm on like the the mid I'm like a middle millennial or like on the, on the younger side of millennials or something like that. But yeah. But it is. I mean, there there is a hard generation break. Um, like TikTok is definitely a gen z thing i think the stuff that like people in in my demographic were doing on like vine it's a very similar platform but it might not necessarily translate as well and there's like a whole subculture that's developed on tiktok that like mimics itself that is that's interesting yeah and it's very unique to the platform you know i mean we think about how we, we refer to people as tiktokers
0: yeah yeah, and that that is interesting. Uh, I hadn't thought about the the way that it's um, you know it's a it's a word. On top of that, it's a descriptor for people. Um, it's permeated the cultural zeitgeist to that degree. Um, I, I know that. Yeah, I've never been on TikTok, and I'm not downloading the app or anything. I just have. I mean, I almost feel like I don't need to because the ones that go viral go viral, and there's more and more of them to where I'm like, I seem to. S- I see the I see the the big ones anyway, even on on twitter at this point but it's it seems pretty interesting and it and it seems like a really it could it could be used for a lot of interesting and informative uh ways to kind of open up people's perspectives to, to new information outside of just you know doing music parodies or whatever it is
1: yeah it, it it definitely i mean there's there's a lot to it you know it is and there's a moral panic around it which is interesting i mean there's a moral panic around everything always uh, yeah that, that's societal human nature but um but the moral panic around tick tock is interesting because it's such a bizarre intersection of like dystopian like security concerns but also like xenophobia and like nationalism and then also the like it's corrupting our children which is like the yeah. the underpinning of every great moral panic right whether it's <laughs> you know heavy metal or Wayfair cabinets. It's always about kids. And they're always like, all of it, I think every moral panic is like a nugget of truth and mountains of conspiracy theory and bullshit, right? Yeah. You know, you look at at the metal thing, like there are some seriously sketchy people that have been involved in like extreme music for decades and decades and decades. And violence in the media is maybe a legitimate problem. Caveat, like side note to that, no one was really going out and, like, on a broad societal basis, like, kids weren't just, like, getting an Aussie album or something, like, fairly mainstream, listening to it, and then, like, murdering people. Like, that's not the path to radicalization, yeah. you know? Um, in yeah, the same it's not. Way, it's not... The... Sorry. Sorry, continue. I was saying no, saying in, the, in the same way that, like, we're seeing right now of, like, you know, with the Wayfair thing or... QAnon and or any of that crap like yes there are as we've seen with like jeff epstein and and really just like it's common knowledge that there are serious issues of sexual assault and human trafficking globally that's always been the case that's a thousand plus year old problem mm-hmm. but also the stuff that like layers on top of that that like distributes is never they're always red herrings and bullshit and it's never like the sleuthy group of like random people in like on reddit that are like finding these things you know it's
0: well yeah it's almost like um it's like uh (laughs) the idea of just like yeah you know i'm like the the both the woodward and the bernstein of reddit where i just uncover these truths and these vast conspiracies and and conspiracy theories in general are just such a trap because you know if if you open that door to whatever the conspiracy theory is then everything's on the table yeah and you can just really Go down this path to nihilism. Of well, if this is okay, well, if this isn't true, then what about this? And then, and you can really retrofit that to to any worldview if you try hard enough. And some people don't even need that. And that, that I, you know, it's I'm fascinated by them just as an outsider looking in, and just like the possibilities both of what the conspiracy is theater, uh, what the conspiracy theory is, but also just the mindset of somebody who is both. Creating that, but like really invested in it, but definitely that's uh, I I keep a distance for sure.
1: Well, you know, there's there's like there's there's two main issues that we're really seeing right now, right? Which is if for like forty years, a little bit more than that now, we've had this gradual erosion of trust in our institutions, Mm -hmm. which to some extent is healthy, and a lot of that I think was geared towards like very real scandals that continued to happen. Um, you know, the Pentagon Papers, Watergate, Iran-Contra, etc. Um, the other side of that being also that, like, as people started to broad swath mistrust the, like, the institutions that are, like, the underpinning of society, I almost, like, forgot my own second point here, but the the, the distribution, I think, method for these things increased so much through modern social media, and then also like people's ability and like have kind of learned ability to like validate the resources and like information they're getting, is uh-huh. it's really not there. I mean, if you think about it, we don't really, really focus or emphasize the way we need to on critical thinking in regards to information in primary education. It's there, people talk about, like, but it's there in this way of, like, what's a valid source, what's not, on these, like, pre-approved lists you're getting from a teacher, basically. It isn't until, like, best case college level, like, undergrad, but in some cases, even then, like, more like, like, master's level, that you really start to learn how to analyze information and validate it. That is a huge, huge foundational problem, I think, in the Western education system when you're talking about having a functional society.
0: Yeah, but I think also, too, in a world where, you know, we went from a time early on the Internet in the 90s where it wasn't uh, the Internet wasn't a trusted source, which uh, fair enough. But it was also I think that there was incorrect information put on the Internet in earnest. But we've come to a point where misinformation is is completely weaponized. And it is more and more difficult to well, it it takes more to critically think, but it also is difficult to to find a a trusted source or you know, and even then it's just like how how much can I trust this?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and I mean, it's it is worth I think pointing out that that bad information has almost always been weaponized, especially politically in this country. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: maybe maybe the you know the internet being this kind of geographical democratizer has, has made it made it easier to, to influence more people than ever.
1: Well, absolutely. And, yeah. and again, I think it goes back to that lack of trust in institutions where you had to be much more clever about how you ran and worked with bad information. Uh, a lot of times you had to present it as speculative because mm-hmm. the next day the local paper was going to be fact-checking you. And people, by and large, got that paper and trusted that paper. But again, people do not necessarily trust those institutions anymore. And that radiated out of a lack of trust and faith, I think, in the political institutions and in the government, but then started affecting our scientific community, our press and media, you know, etc., uh, etc., cetera, et cetera, down the list, to where people just have no faith in anything anymore other than what they themselves are able to go find and see, and they don't have the skill set because they weren't taught the skill set on how to go find and seek information. It's a huge problem.
0: Yeah, I think also it, it takes, for lack of a better word, some kind of discipline to not just entirely bathe yourself in confirmation bias because it's so easy to only read the things that make you feel right and just reconfirm your own belief systems. And it's difficult to kind of venture outside of that because it feels good to feel right, you know?
1: Oh, absolutely. And the internet
0: allows for that very, very easily.
1: I mean, yeah. And there's also like a large business structure that's been made off of reinforcing confirmation bias, which I think, you know, goes back to some of the issues in in, like traditional media. I mean, Fox News really found a way to weaponize opinion. Yeah. And beyond that, I mean, MSNBC, to a lesser degree, kind of copied that model for very different goals, though you know, Fox News, Rupert Murdoch was to some extent a true believer, maybe not so much in all of the social conservatism aspects, but, you know, he definitely had a set political agenda that he wanted to put forward. MSNBC, I think, has been slightly less effective because theirs was far more based off of, I mean, if you look at it historically on just profit motive. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, if you go back actually to like the early days of them kind of like changing their platform to this opinion, with confirmation bias thing, they tried to basically mimic Fox and be also go into a conservative direction. Um, not realizing that that was already kind of a saturated market and no one was doing that on the left. So then they just quickly pivoted in the Bush years to, to the left. And, and yeah, I mean, neither one is particularly good for, for a functional society and it's getting yeah. more and more extreme from there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that that definitely came to a head when, you know, they hired people as presidents that were were presidents or, or ran scripted television as opposed to any kind of journalistic endeavor to where it's just ratings. And it's purely money-funded and money-driven, which is obviously not anything new, but it's another thing when we have these obviously self-perpetuating 24-hour news cycles that then result in narratives being created for the sake of those ratings. It's not anything new, but still more blatant than ever, I think.
1: Well, it absolutely is. And there was just a kind of a complete tear down of the wall of kind of like editorial content and what we would think of as journalism in the news. Mm-hmm. And that's happened kind of across the political spectrum. And that's not to say that legitimate journalism can't drive an ideological point like it can. But there's a huge difference between engaging in the act of journalism and like specifically of investigative journalism and commenting on someone else's journalism, which is most of what you see on cable news. Yeah, and that makes absolute sense.
0: I'm not good at wrapping things up, so... He says, as he prefaces to wrap up, is there anything you want to plug before we uh, end the show?
1: Oh, God, million things. Um, so, uh, you know, please check out my, my current podcast, which is Sorry for Rambling with Alex Kack. I actually am launching a new podcast with one of my best friends and longtime collaborators, Ryan Malko. It's called Concession Speech. That is a history-based podcast. We are looking at people who ran for president and lost. Uh, Which is going to be a lot of fun. I also do a number of blogs, so if you are interested in editorial content, me commenting on other people's journalism, or um, (laughs) you know, general bitchy opinions about anything, uh, also I talk a lot about UFOs and ghosts and and weird sports leagues. (laughs) You know, find me on Twitter and look for those articles. Um,
0: Perfect. Yeah. So at Alex underscore Cac.
1: That's me on ck yeah i'm on literally every platform somewhere (laughs) i'm aggressively online and it's definitely not good for my mental mental health well i can't criticize anybody for that
0: so i know exactly what you mean but thank you again for your time i really appreciate it
1: hey thanks for having me on the show it was a real
0: pleasure absolutely thank you all for listening hope you're well please wear a mask